It is uh, my privilege to be open up God's word for us here this morning, and uh, in doing so, I'm going to explore a common truism that is often said by Christians today. In particular, we're going to examine how the book of Proverbs evaluates this, uh, what this truism claims. And if you're around Christian circles much, you often hear certain little truisms thrown out from time to time, like, you know, God is opening a door, or let go and let God, or, you know, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Heard that one? Perhaps one of the most common truisms is this, God is in control. Have you ever heard that one? Uh, We say it all the time. Particularly when we face an uncertainty or a trial, difficulty, it's, it's a saying that, meant, that is meant to encourage us. Don't worry, God is in control. So that when that terminal illness is diagnosed in a loved one or we come down with cancer, God is in control. Or some other hardship or disaster happens. You lose your job, you total your car, your home burns down, your business goes under. God is in control. We also say sometimes when blessings come our way, when you get the job or the relationship is healed or the medical test comes back with some positive results, we sometimes say, oh, see, I knew it all along. God was in control, as if to presume that the things that we want are necessarily what God wants. But what exactly do we mean by this? Particularly, to what extent is he in control? Does he just control the really big things? What about some of the smaller things? He control just a few things or everything? Does he control who you marry or how many kids you have? Or if you get that promotion at work that you've been striving for? Or if the stock market tanks and you lose all your savings? Does he control who gets cancer or comes down with Alzheimer's? What about natural disasters like when a tornado strikes down and totally ravishes and destroys homes on one side of the street but leaves those on the other side hardly damaged? What about earthquakes and tsunamis that devastate entire cities and destroy the lives of thousands? Is he in control of a booming economy with a low unemployment rate, amazing technological advances like the internet and cell phones? What about who gets elected to government office? Is God in control? Was he in control of the election of Donald Trump? Or Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, pick your politician? What about the passage of Roe v. Wade, or the Jewish Holocaust, or even over the next past 24 hours, the two tragic mass shootings that we've experienced in our nation in El Paso and in Ohio? Is God in control of those things? Does he direct the narrative of human history, and if so, to what extent? And what about your own personal narrative? That flat tire you received last week? or when your identity was stolen by an online criminal, or that power outage because of a lightning strike that your home was without power for an entire day and you had to throw out all the food in your fridge, or you scored that rare Monopoly piece at McDonald's when they had that Monopoly game, and you get that free trip to Hawaii, or when you made that amazing catch in the ball game or hit that tremendous drive on the golf course, has God in control of that? What about when you reached in the closet this morning and picked out the shirt that you have on today? Or you came in this morning and you're seated in the very seat that you're, you're at now. Is God in control of that? What about the person you're seated next to right now? Did God maybe orchestrate you to be next to that person for some conversation that's going to happen? Or here's a question. Would he be perhaps in more control of where you're seated today if suddenly this beautiful new balcony that we just constructed collapsed? And some of us lived, and some of us died. 
Now, would that change the equation for us? If it became more weighty like that, would that somehow mean that God was in maybe more control of where you're seated? Now, don't worry. We're very confident in the structural security of this balcony here, all right? Like, those of you back, you're fine. But you get the point, right? We say that God is in control all the time, but when is this true? How is this true? To what extent is this true? And the aim of the message here today is to introduce us to this difficult theological matter. In particular, we're going to examine how the book of Proverbs addresses this question I'm presenting to you today. And in doing so, we're going to close out, wrap out our summer series on Proverbs. And this message will also provide a transition into Romans chapter 9, which will begin next week. Romans 9 digs deep into questions about how God controls the details of life, particularly matters of salvation. Namely, do I choose God or does God choose me? And I hope you come back in the following weeks ready to really wade deep into the waters of Romans 9. Because this morning, I'm really just going to kind of introduce some themes and some questions that will take us many weeks to explore, and I cannot come close to covering all of them, all the questions associated with this subject in just one message. But for today, just to get us going, we're going to specifically anchor ourselves in Proverbs by asking this question, what does the book of Proverbs say about God's control over the details of life. And perhaps one of the most central Proverbs to this question is Proverbs 19.21, which says this, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, we're all good at making plans, aren't we? We all have hopes, we all have dreams, we plan things to try to make them happen how we want to see happen, yet often our plans are frustrated, aren't they? You intend things to turn out one way, but then they end up turning out very differently. And our ability to execute our plans, it's always in question. But notice the contrast here in this Proverbs. Man makes his plans, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The imagery here is that people are not always in control. We have plans, but our plans do not always come to pass. But God is always in control. His plans always come to pass. The purposes of the Lord will stand, and they cannot, they will not be subverted. Theologians refer to this concept uh, as God's sovereignty, or more specifically, God's providence, which I'm going to define in a moment. More commonly, we hear the word sovereignty, so let me start there. God's sovereignty means that the Lord reigns supreme over all things. He can exert his will over your life, our nation, the universe, in any and every conceivable way. God's absolute sovereignty means that not one corner of this universe is outside of his ability to control. There is not one molecule, there is not one atom over creation, in creation over which God sovereignly reigns supreme. Proverbs describes this in reality when it says in chapter 21, verse 30, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. God is absolutely powerful over everything and nothing can challenge his power. With merely a word or a thought, he can do the most powerful thing imaginable and there is nothing anyone or anything can do to stand against him. Not you, not me, not the angels, not demons, not Satan himself because God is the almighty sovereign Lord who reigns over all of creation. And sovereignty is one of these key terms we need to keep in mind this morning. God's omnipotence is another. But the term providence is the subject we're going to explore most deeply today. So let me give you a summary of these three critical terms we need to consider. First, omnipotence. This is God's almighty ability or his power. 
This is what God can do. This is what he has the power to accomplish, which is really anything, right? He is incredibly, vastly, supremely powerful in every conceivable way. Then his sovereignty. This is God's absolute authority or his rule. And this is what God has the right to do. This is the realm in which he has authority, the the areas in which he reigns, which is everywhere. And finally, God's providence. And this is God's decisive direction or his will. God's providence is the term we use to describe his ongoing relationship with creation. It describes his activity in maintaining the creative order. It also describes the extent to which he is involved in the world, asserting his will when he does it, when perhaps he doesn't. And so omnipotence is equal to God's power. Sovereignty is equal to his rule and providence equal to his will. Or to flesh it out another way, just more very succinctly, God's omnipotence is what God can do. It's what he can do. God's sovereignty is what God has the right to do, the privilege to do. And finally, God's providence is what God decides to do, what he actually decides to do. So let me illustrate. I have an eight-year-old son. And in many ways, with my, the relationship with my son, I have power, sovereignty, and providence over him. I am certainly more powerful than he is. I have far more ability than he does in every respect. He can come against me however he wants, but you know what? No chance, right? Now, probably won't always be that way, but for now, it's that way. I also have parental authority over him. I have the right to set the rules. He's in my house, after all, and he falls under my authority. Finally, there are sometimes many things that I determine for him that he will do. He has some freedom, of course, but I also set some things in motion about what he can and cannot do, his behaviors, his chores, going to bed, the resources, the things that he has. And we are all God's children. And he has a similar power, authority, and providence over the things that happen in our lives, in this world. But to what extent is God doing that? To what extent does God direct our lives? To what extent is he controlling through his providence the things that happen in this world? From the broad direction of human history, what nations rise and fall, to how the church advances through the world, to the significant things that happen in your life, like the health of you and your family, or where you live, the path of your career, to the very small minutia of your personal life, like the hairstyle you have on today, or what food you had for breakfast. Now, theologians, they hotly debate this topic with everyone landing somewhere on a particular continuum about how they think about these things. Particularly a continuum that looks like this. If I put this question up, what does God willfully direct to happen? And there's a range of, of where people debate how much God is willfully directing the things that happen in this world. From some saying he he directs every single thing, to he directs absolutely nothing at all, he's completely hands-off, to maybe he directs just kind of half and half or more or less. This is hotly debated in categories of theology. And if you have never wrestled with this question before, I think most Christians intuitively land somewhere in the middle, some of the most to the some kind of part of the spectrum, because there are some things, certainly, that we quickly ascribe to God's control. I've already listed many in this message, like natural disasters, illnesses, cancer, circumstances of incredible fortune or misfortune, but there are also many things that we attribute to ourselves, specifically things that happen by our own choice. 
accomplishments that we have, choices that we freely make. We look at ourselves and we say, well, I did that. God didn't do that. I did that. And so let's answer this question really in four different categories, four different ways that the book of Proverbs shows how the extent to which God directs the things that happen in this world. And the first category is seemingly random events. Now, many things that happen in this world happen through human choice, of course, but many things in life seem totally random. Like, have you ever been out of town and you just kind of bumped into somebody that you knew from back home? You're like, you're here? How are you here? Like, my family and I, we were at a vacation uh, in Ocean City, New Jersey. We're on the beach in New Jersey, and we bump into a family from Bethel Church. What's the chance of that? I bumped into this family on the beach in New Jersey from Bethel Church, Northwest Indiana. Come on. It's, it's, it's crazy random, isn't it? There's, those kind of things happen to us, and it's so unexpected. Other times, though, there is terrible tragedy, which appears to be so random. Like the person who has a very healthy lifestyle, and yet they still come down with a terminal form of brain cancer, or the individual just driving nicely on the highway and killed by a drunk driver. What about those people in Walmart in El Paso yesterday? Just gunned down in cold blood or just out of the blue. Or people who happened to be on a doomed airline flight. They didn't choose that fate. It just seemed to happen to them randomly. And then there are the people who, on the other side, win the sweepstakes. They always seem to be in the right place at the right time. Like when my wife and I, in our first year of marriage, we were taking a walk through a park, and we just looked down, and there in the grass was a $100 bill just laying there. We're like, this is, we picked it up, and we kind of looked around, see if anybody was kind of looking around for money, couldn't find anybody. We actually reported to the park district office, saying, hey, if anybody was looking for some money, we might have found some. Nobody claimed it. We actually were able to keep it for ourselves. It was quite a little, little blessing. And we often attribute these kind of things when they happen to something we call luck. When people have a good run of positive things that happen to them, we call them lucky. And on the other side of things, when people just never seem to catch a break, we call them unlucky. But does God's providence cover these seemingly random events? Let's look at Proverbs 16.33 for, for a start. 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now, a lot in the Old Testament was a way to randomly determine a decision. Typically what happened was you, you gathered some smooth stones or even some dice, and, and they were indicated one that meant yes or no or something else, and they were put into a pouch, and then they were randomly just kind of blindly drawn out. Lots are pictured being used all throughout the Old Testament to help make decisions. We even see them a few times in the New Testament, most notably when the Roman soldiers cast lots to determine ownership of, of Jesus' clothing as he hung on the cross. And so lot drawing was an ancient way of making a random determination. So here's a modern example of an ancient lot. Have you guys seen one of these? This is the magic eight ball. And it's filled with fluid, and inside there's this, like, orb or something that, that you, you hold it this way, and then it floats up, and you can see through a window an answer to a question. There's lots of different answers on here. So let me just kind of ask this thing a question, and we'll see, see what it says. This is like a random lot. So I'm going to ask the question, is Pastor Steve a cool guy? 
This is dangerous, I know. And that's, I'm gonna try this again because that's not the one I was looking for. Very doubtful. And I kid you not, that was the exact same answer last service. I'm not joking, it's right here, you can see. So, nothing is, is, nothing is seemingly more random than that, right? You just kind of turn this and this thing floats up. And, but what does Proverbs 16.33 say? The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This is clearly saying that God is in direct control of such seemingly random events. So when I ask this thing, the question, will the Chicago Cubs ever win the World Series again? It just plainly says yes. I have to tell you, last service, the answer was don't count on it. So it's a little bit more, more optimistic for you guys here today. I don't know, but that, is God in control of that? Now, I don't think, don't misunderstand me. I don't think that we need to seek and try to understand God's will or discern the future from random choice kind of things like this. God in the New Testament has not appointed us lots to try to determine what his will is. But when that seemingly random thing happens to you, the flat tire on the way home from work, or the, or the very fortunate monopoly piece you receive from McDonald's, right? the canceled airline flight due to mechanical failure, or that conversation that you happen to have with that random person in the store checkout aisle. All of these seemingly random things, they fall under the providence of God. And this is then the first category of God's control we see in Proverbs, that God sovereignly directs seemingly random events. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Jesus reiterated this truth himself when he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Even seemingly random details, like the death of a sparrow, is watched over by our Father. Now, does this mean that God is directly controlling every single dice roll that happens? I personally don't think so. In many cases, I, I think God doesn't particularly care. What answer the magic eight ball gives me when I ask it a question? It seems reasonable to conclude that a lot of the random physical things that happen in this world is just God allowing the, the laws of physics in our world to take their natural course. But... If there is a random circumstance where the outcome is very important to his will, perhaps he does very actively intervene to make sure that that random event occurs just how he wills. It's kind of like a scene out of one of the Star Wars movies, I think the first episode, where there's some rolling of some dice and there's a Jedi there and he just kind of goes, and the dice do bloop, 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 and they turn up exactly how he wants, right? He uses the force to just kind of make the die show exactly what his will intends. And God can do that. And if it is important to his will that he does, he will do it. He controls every seemingly random thing that happens. The lot is cast, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So how should we think about random events then? Well, first we should think there's ultimately no such thing as luck. If the determination of every dice roll is overseen by our sovereign God, how much more so the orchestration of the details of your life that really matter? Nothing is truly random. In fact, luck should not really be a Christian concept. Christians should not be superstitious people. We shouldn't feel the need to have to knock on wood or to think that some people have this magic aura of luckiness around them. In fact, one of my pet peeves are greeting cards that ultimately source things like a blessed life or a wonderful marriage in luck. 
Whenever I'm looking for a sentimental card for my wife, it seems that half of them say things like this, what a lucky man I am. I am so lucky to have found you. We are so lucky to have the family that we have. Listen, luck has nothing to do with those things. Those significant details of my life all fell under the sovereign providence of God. It's not random who I married. It's not random the things that happened in my life. What those cards should say is what a blessed man I am. What a fortunate man I am to have found you. How We are so blessed by God to have the children that we have. Just take a pen, scratch out the word luck, and write in blessed. Don't attribute the blessings in your life to luck. Attribute them to God from whom all blessings flow. And similarly, when the hard things in life come, look for God's hand in that seemingly very difficult hardship. For several years now, our middle school students have been attending a camp called Silver Birch Ranch. It's a great camp. They have some fantastic activities. They provide some really impactful discipleship to thousands of teens every year. And this year, my daughter attended the camp with the Bethel group that went just a few weeks ago. And the day after the camp, our trip came back, our, our students came back, a massive storm came through and ravished this camp. Here's some pictures of it. You see just the, the massive fallen trees that this just huge storm just took out. And this is the entrance of the camp, just completely closed down just by debris. And I think we also have a few other shots of a parking lot, just covered trees, cars crushed. An incredibly massive storm. Now, was this storm a totally random thing? Of course not. It happened under the control and the will of God. It seemed random, but it wasn't. God was providentially in control of that storm. But then why would he allow something like that to leash such devastation on such a good place? There's mystery in answering that question for sure, but ultimately we have to believe that God has some good purpose for bringing this camp through this. And I'm sure the staff at Silver Birch Ranch, when they first saw the destruction that this storm brought, they didn't interpret it as a blessing, but they have since expressed faith, believing that through this pain, God will grow them and make them stronger because of it, because sometimes pain and hardship is necessary to accomplish a desired end. And God sometimes brings that seemingly random, very hard, difficult thing into our lives to grow us and to mature us and to conform us into the likeness of Christ. And so let's consider this continuum again as it relates to seemingly random events. What does God willfully direct to happen, particularly as it relates to seemingly random events? Proverbs 16.33 should lead us to conclude that even the smallest, most seemingly insignificant random event is guided either actively or passively by the willful hand of God. And how much does this particular truth, how much should this comfort us? To know that even when a random thing happens that is tragic or unfair or unjust, God is in control of that. Now, it does create a tension for sure when that random thing is devastating. God, why did you not cause those rifles to jam of the mass shootings that happened over the past 24 hours? Does that make God somehow responsible for the evil? Hold on to that question. But in those moments, we need to claim the the truth of Romans 8.28 that says, and we know that for those who God 
who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It does not say some things work together for good. It says all things. Nothing happens by chance. We serve a God who is vastly greater and incredibly more magnificent than chance. And so what is our response to that? Our response is just what we sang a short bit ago. We trust him. We trust him. We choose to trust the wise sovereign of all, no matter what seemingly random events occur in our lives, because he controls all of it, and he is good. Now, it's easy to see how God is in control of the non-volitional circumstances, things that happen just by the physics of this world, because who else could possibly control those things? But what about the decisions that you or I make? I mean, maybe, has, maybe God has control of the dice or the storms, but what about the outcomes? I, I, I've got out, the control over the outcomes of my life, right? Like, is, is that true? Consider Proverbs 69. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, like many Proverbs, there's a clear contrast in this passage. First, there is human planning. The heart of a man plans his way. This is very similar to Proverbs 19.21. We already read that says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We all make plans, and we think we're in control of them. And to some measure, we are. But these Proverbs teach that we are not in ultimate control. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We make plans, but who ultimately establishes them? We have dreams and we have desires, but who ultimately controls if those dreams or desires come to fruition? It is the Lord. And so there is human planning, but there is also then God establishing. And here then leads us to one of the greatest mysteries of theology. It is man's choice versus God's control. And so let's consider our little continuum here again. What does God willfully direct to happen, particularly as it relates to the outcomes of our choices. When we make choices, is God in control of the outcomes of all of our choices, or none of them, or just a few of them? And here we have two seemingly contradictory biblical truths. First, biblically, we cannot deny that our choices are real and significant. Consider, for example, Joshua 24, 15, which says, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day who you will serve. So we have a genuine freedom of choice, and that choice is real. It is consequential. It is something that we are morally responsible for. But there is also another side of the same coin. On the other side, we see passages that teach that God controls the outcomes of our choices. Consider, for example, Psalm 139.16. All the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Everything that happens in my life was written down before it came to happen. It was written down by your desire, by your decree, God. And how do we reconcile these two truths, that we have genuine choice, but it seems that God is ultimately in control of the outcome of our choices? How is it that we genuinely make plans, but God himself is the one who ultimately establishes them? Now, when I think you start to dig deep into this, there are some compelling explanations for how all of this works, particularly when you realize that God can interfere at any time to change the result of a particular choice what that choice is going to produce. He can, he, can, he can interfere at any time. He can send a seemingly random event like a storm to change the, change the equation. 
He can have cause something mechanical to break down. He can permit somebody to get sick. You know, eons ago, God saw the choice that you're intending to make next week. And if he doesn't like the outcome of that choice, he can and sometimes does arrange circumstances so that the outcome aligns with his will. So I like to think of it this way. God is really the ultimate chess player. You see, a master chess player thinks many, many moves ahead. And he can strategically control the board when he's playing with a novice opponent so that the the opponent the novice makes are exactly what the master chess player wants him to make. So the master chess player can move a pawn here and then a knight here and a bishop here, and he knows that the novice is going to respond in these ways and result in a board laying out exactly how the master chess player wants to see it. So what if God, in his unfathomably complex knowledge and wisdom and power, placed this rock here and sent this storm here and allowed this virus to take root there, and this mechanical breakdown to occur over there, that for months orchestrated all these details so that when you were faced with a certain choice, the context of that choice, and your heart in that moment was such that the outcome was what God ultimately wanted to see. It's absolutely mind-boggling to think about. But that is exactly the scale and the size and the complexity and the majesty of our God. He can control the entire creation with such exquisite, detailed precision so that the outcomes of all of our choices align with his will. It is utterly confounding to think about. And this complexity is why answers to these questions ultimately rests in mystery. It seems that we are... uh, often in total control of the outcomes of our choices. Yet, biblically, God is the ultimate establisher and determiner of these outcomes. And so, in summary, God sovereignly directs first seemingly random events, but also then the outcomes of human choice. And this is shown in Proverbs 6.9, the harvest man plans his way, the Lord establishes his steps. Again, 19.21, many of the plans in the man, mind of man, but is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And also Proverbs twenty twenty four: A man's steps are from the Lord. How can a man understand his way? We make our plans. We put a ton of effort into our plans and thought behind making them happen how we want. And these effort, those plan, that planning, that is real and that is consequential. But God is ultimately in control of those outcomes. Sometimes he works through our plans and, and, and our efforts and, and the exact outcome that we want and desire to have happen happens, but other times he does not. And so for this past, for example, this past week, my family took a vacation to San Diego. It was a fantastic trip, wonderful city. It was on our bucket list. It was a neat place to go. And some people go to San Diego and they go to sit on the beach and relax. Not us. We put on about 15,000, 20,000 steps a day. We hiked the coast, we went to that world-famous zoo, we SeaWorld, Legoland, Balboa Park, we did so much. And I spent hours and hours planning how to make this trip just perfect for my family. And so, you know, before we go to the San Diego Zoo, I got the whole layout of the zoo there in front of me, and I'm looking at it, figuring out, okay, how can we take everything in? And particularly, like, it's a very hilly zoo, so you ride the transportation at the top of the hill, and you walk down the hill, and you see things going down instead of uphill. Saves energy, it's great. Or the days that we went exploring the coastline. I spend time researching, okay, where is the best places to hike or the best tide pools or the best places for snorkeling. And our plans were laid out meticulously, but God could and sometimes did produce an outcome that was different from what I had planned. 
Maybe the weather didn't cooperate, or someone got sunburned, or there was a road closure, or the navigation system on our phone didn't work, or the crowds were larger than expected, or my kids got cranky and had a bad attitude. (laughs) All of our flights were delayed. All of those things happened which in some significant way altered the outcome of my plan. Sometimes that was frustrating because hopes and expectations weren't met. But sometimes things actually turned out better than I had planned because God blessed us with a better outcome. So for one example, there's this one spot that we were going to that we were hoping to see wild sea lions just kind of hanging on the beach. That's something that happens in San Diego. There's all these places, the wild sea lions just come up and they sun themselves and you can just kind of walk right up to them. We went to this place and there were no sea lions there. And we were bummed because the plans weren't turning out how we had expected. But then later in the afternoon, we stumbled upon this other different spot, and there were sea lions all over the place, just tons of them. Here's a picture of my kids uh, just walked right up to a sea lion. There's dozens of these animals on the beach. It's crazy, wild, wild sea lions. And then, while we were in the same spot, I decided to do some snorkeling. And I was snorkeling out in deep water, and suddenly a sea lion appeared. And it swam right up to me, and it circled me a couple times. I'm like drawing my body in because it's that close, and I'm thinking, this, what, is, what is this thing thing? It kind of swims back, and it comes back, and I kid you not, it came right up to my face and stopped and looked at me about less than two feet from my face and stared me down, and then just turned around and swam off. And that was my favorite moment of the whole trip right there. It was amazing, but I, I was a little, I'm a little bit freaking out, right? Because I'm thinking, is this thing sizing me up for lunch or what? (laughs) See, when I'm on the beach and there's a sea lion, I know, okay, Brad versus sea lion, Brad wins. But in open water, that's a different story altogether. Now, I didn't plan for that to happen. In fact, some of my plans were frustrated where I wanted to experience that. But circumstances led me to make other choices, which resulted then in that great experience. And perhaps God was behind all of that. Maybe so that I have that great illustration to tell you here today. So here's the point. We make our plans, but God establishes them how he wants. And that is true from the little things like vacation itineraries and travel details to the big things. Like how you progress in your career or in your family or how you succeed financially or struggle financially or whether that medical treatment works or not. The fruitfulness you have in ministry, serving Christ in the church or trying to share Christ with an unbeliever. So what should we do in light of all of this? Well, first, we work hard because we know that our choices are real and significant. We don't become passive and take a fatalistic view of life and think, well, it doesn't really matter what I do because God's in control. He's going to just do whatever he wants to do. No! Our choices are real and consequential, so work hard because you are responsible for your life. But hold your hopes and your dreams and your passions and your plans with an open hand. Knowing that the Lord may direct a different outcome than you desire and choose to be okay with it when he does because he is good and he is wise and so we choose to trust him. We choose to trust the wise sovereign of all. He is infinitely wiser than we are and because of that we should be exceedingly grateful that he is in ultimate control and not us. And so to review, God sovereignly directs seemingly random events. Nothing happens that is truly random or 
luck-based, and also he directs the outcomes of human choices. We make our plans, but God ultimately establishes what happens. But then Proverbs takes us a layer deeper still by saying that even human desires are sovereignly guided by the Supreme Lord. So Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. The word heart here refers to the inner desires or wants of a person. There's a person's the heart is a person's longings and hopes and dreams. A person's heart is what drives them to action. In fact, all of our choices can be traced back to the desires of our heart. And so uh, we choose what we most want to do. So if after I go home today, I feel like having a big bowl of ice cream, I'm going to, if it's available, have a big bowl of ice cream because we act on our desires. We act out our heart. Now, granted, sometimes our hearts are in conflict and we have to choose between competing desires. And so I may desire to have a huge bowl of ice cream, but I may also desire not to consume 1,000 calories frivolously. Those desires are in direct conflict. And so what we do is we choose, we, we, we compare those desires and we choose according to the one which is higher or stronger. So do I more want the huge bowl of ice cream or do I more want to avoid putting on three pounds? <laughs> do I more want to spend the money on this great vacation or do I more want to sock it away from my kids' college education? Do I more want to sleep in, have a restful morning at church, a restful morning at home today, or do I want to get up and come to church this morning? See, our hearts are always in conflict, and we always choose according to what we most want. And those desires within us then, those produce our choices. And this proverb explains how desires and choices work for one particular person, the king. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Very plainly, the text states that the heart, the desires, the wants of the king are directed by the Lord. And it describes it a bit of visual imagery. It says, just like I could have a little stream of water flowing through my hand here, and I could bend my hand slightly this way or that way, and I could make the water kind of change course a little bit here or there. It's so easy for me to do that. So too are the king's desires moldable and changeable in the hand of God. And so this leads us to the third category in which God sovereignly directs. He directs seemingly random events, the outcomes of human choice, but also the desires of human hearts. And not only are the outcomes of human choice subject to the will of God, the internal desires of the human heart are similarly subject to his will. And notice the particular example given here, the king. The king is the greatest human in the land. He, he is the one who rules over all other humans. And even the king has his desires subjected to the sovereign providence of God. And so even the human sovereign is subjected, whether he likes it or not, to the divine sovereign. And if this is the case for the human king, it must also be the case for all of us. If even the king has his hearts and desires subjected and directed by the will of God, our hearts and desires must similarly, in some measure, be directed by the will of God. Now, I know this may be tough for you to swallow at first. There are all sorts of objections that may be racing through your mind, but stop and think about it for a moment. We commonly believe that God influences our hearts and desires, don't we? We pray for God to soften people's hearts to the gospel. We ask God to work in the hearts of our children, to build within them a love for Christ, to help them to value the things that we want them to value, to love the things that we want them to love, to have the character that we want them to have. We pray to God to do that in them. We, we believe that God can work in our neighbor who is cruel to us to make that person more kind to us. 
If God doesn't direct and change and influence hearts, then why should we pray to him at all to have an impact on our kids or our neighbors or our unbelievers? Of course he directs and influences hearts. He does it all the time. We pray for him to do it all the time. And I think in thinking about this, it is helpful for us to realize, think about our desires being more influenced than controlled by God. And here's how I think this works. When you really think about it, we can trace our desires back to external influences. So this afternoon, for example, imagine that you decide you want to cook a steak for dinner, a great steak for dinner this evening. Why, why do you want to do that? Well, your body's getting hungry. You, you have an enjoyment of steak. You were in a family that raised you eating steak, and you've had tons of positive experiences with steak. And You happened to be at the grocery store a few days ago, and steak was on sale. And So you bought a, a couple of steaks, and you know you need to eat them soon, or they're going to go bad. Your spouse maybe hinted at you, hey, you know what, having steak would be very nice tonight. In fact, you had chicken yesterday, so some red meat really sounds good. And besides, the weather is going to be perfect for grilling. And you happen to have some nice asparagus in the fridge. And you know what, your fr a friend just sent you uh, what looks like a fantastic recipe that you want to try for cooking steak. And you're enticed by it. Unbeknownst to you, maybe you also have a genetic disposition to liking steak. And on top of it, you just heard a sermon this morning that painted a fantastic picture about how good it would be to have a steak dinner tonight. Now, any of you want steak now? See, all of these things influence you down a certain path. And what if God is the one who's ultimately behind all of those influences? Why do you want what you want? It's because you've been influenced to want what you want. And I'm suggesting to you that God is behind many, perhaps all, of those influences that make you want what you want. He's the one who sends the nice weather for grilling. He's the one who maybe arranged it so that the steaks were on sale. He pushed the ad forward on the website that made you discover the recipe that's so enticing. And perhaps he even whispered directly into your heart that steak would taste really good today. So just as the desires of the king are like a stream of water in the hand of Almighty God, so too are our desires held captive to his will. And he can and he does influence them however he chooses. Now remember our continuum. How many of our desires, how much are our desires directed by God? All of them, some of them? Now time doesn't allow me really to fully answer that question because it opens a whole can of worms regarding God's relationship to evil. And we simply just don't have time to dig into that subject today, but I believe we will in the coming weeks. But for now, we at least need to understand that our desires are subject to the providence of God and he can influence them however he wants, whenever he wants, and we ought to trust the wise sovereign as and when and however he works in this way. Finally, I think we need to consider this next proverb for a last area of life that God controls. Proverbs 16:4. the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked. Two key words here, everything and purpose. Everything, that's all-encompassing. The Lord has made everything. There is not one thing over which he reigns supreme and is sovereign over. He's made it all. And nothing that he has done is haphazard. He has done everything for a purpose. All that God has done and will do is intentional. It's all done for a purpose. Every seemingly random event, every outcome of every choice, every human desire that God permits to take root, all of it is done with purpose. Even the creation of the wicked. 
Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked. God even has purposes behind evil and wickedness. So here's the point. There's not one aspect of creation that escapes God's sovereignty. He can and does intervene and orchestrate all things however he wills. So God sovereignly directs random events, the outcomes of human choice, the desires of human hearts, and all things for a purpose. The Lord has made everything for a purpose, even the wicked. Now this is a tough one for us to grasp. Because how can a holy God have a purpose for evil? Wouldn't that somehow violate his holiness? Again, these two shootings, one in El Paso and one in Ohio over just the past day. Scores of people killed, others injured. God could have changed the hearts of those assailants, but he didn't. He could have caused the rifles to jam or something else to subvert that from happening, but he didn't. Why? There are many ways I can answer that question, but perhaps I can answer it most directly by just pointing us to the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the most wicked, heinous, evil thing that ever happened. To have the pure, spotless, blameless Son of God tortured in the most gruesome and hideous way possible. No event in human history, I don't care which event you think, was more wicked or more heinous than that. Yet God directed that event to happen. Consider Acts 4, starting in verse 27. They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These people gathered, Herod, Pontius Pilate, others, to murder Christ. And in doing so, their gathering and their pursuit of that was what God's hand and plan predestined would happen. God purposed the death of his own son to happen. And he directed the circumstances and the desires of the human heart so that his son would be killed. And it was not wrong for God to intentionally plan this wickedness to happen because he did it for an infinitely good cause. God can and does use wickedness and evil to accomplish his good purpose. Just look at the death of Jesus as the ultimate example of such. All things fall under the sovereign control of our God, who is both good and wise. And how fearful this sovereign control of God would be if, this, if these two descriptors of God were not true. If God were not good, yet he controlled all things, we would have much to fear. If God were not wise and he controlled all things, we would have much to fear, particularly because these two things are true, that God is wholly good and that he is supremely wise. The goodness and the wisdom of God is the reason why we can trust his control. And frankly, I would much rather God be in control than myself for this reason. You see, compared to God, I am immensely wicked and an utter fool. Compared to God, Brad Lagos is incredibly wicked and an utter fool. And who would I rather trust? A wicked fool or an unendingly wise, infinitely good sovereign? I choose to trust the one who is wise and good, not the one who is wicked and foolish. And that is why at the end of the day, I am utterly glad that God is in control and not me. So here then, 
is the conclusion of this message and really a central message to the entire book of Proverbs. Since God wisely controls all things, wisdom says that God's people ought to trust him in all things. God wisely controls everything. God's people ought to trust him in everything. This is coming from perhaps the most central passage of the entire book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And the random event happens in your life that just upends your world and you face the poor medical diagnosis or the fractured relationship or the lost job, the broken home, the, you lose your financial security. When the terrible storm of life descends upon you, wisdom says trust in the wise sovereign who controls it all. When your plans don't turn out as you expect, and you work so hard to achieve your goals or your objectives, but it just slips through your fingers. Wisdom says, trust in the wise and good sovereign who controls it all. Or when you're injured or maligned by another person's actions or choices, and you face incredible heartache and pain because of the wickedness of another person, wisdom says, trust in the wise sovereign who controls it all. And even when your own heart is conflicted, and you face temptations and dark desires, and you're not sure how you're ever going to emerge from this emotional trial, wisdom says, trust in the wise sovereign who controls it all. Yes, there's great mystery in precisely how God orchestrates the things in the world as he does, but no, no matter what we face, we can, we should, we must trust him because there is no better place for us to turn than to the omnipotent, Sovereign, wise providence of our God who controls every random event, every circumstance, outcome, sickness, storm, frustration, pain, feeling that you have. He controls all of it and directs all of it for his good pleasure and ultimately for our good. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust him. The wise person trusts and the wise sovereign of all. This is the message of the book of Proverbs. And in that trust, there is immense comfort and ultimately incredible confidence because our hope is not in ourselves. It is in our good and wise Lord and Savior who holds us all in the palm of his hand.